welcome back to the Reading Series podcast. My name is Kate Sheeran Swed. I am a science fiction and fantasy author, and for the past few weeks I've been reading two chapters of a, at a time of my book Outlaw Rising. It's a novella, a prequel to the Parse Galaxy space opera series. So if you haven't been listening, we are on chapters 9 and 10 today. Um, you'll want to go back to the beginning of the playlist and listen through again. Now, I actually fixed my sound. I had my microphone wasn't quite working well, so I hope that if you're listening on a podcast provider especially, you will be able to hear me better today. So let's get started. Chapter 9. The moneymaker was still in hover mode after dropping the fireworks. Frustratingly close to Anro Moon, and yet far, too far to make any difference. As Vin crashed back to cargo, panic surging through his chest, Hilda's voice was a constant chatter in his ear. You cannot go down there, Vincent. She seemed to be injecting every stern, motherly skill she had at her disposal. She can get out of this, but if they capture you, you're done. The mission is done. Vin threw himself around the spiral staircase and through the cramped storage pantry to where a pair of single-person pods waited. The one on the left was already programmed from Sloane's most recent descent, so he dove into that one and started to strap himself in. To his surprise, Alex's heart-shaped face appeared in the doorway, her red hair hanging loose over her shoulders. "'You shouldn't go,' she said. Vin buckled the straps. "'I got her into this. I need to get her out.' Alex looked unlikely to budge, so he added, "'Someone stole that data key.' and I need to know who it was. Alex hesitated, her brow crinkled. He'd tried to shield her from the more dangerous parts of this job, which meant shielding her from much of the action, and she wasn't used to pivoting like this. She wasn't used to the risks. He thought she might have to sh he might have to shut the doors on her, but she just nodded and stepped back. Be careful, she said. I always am. Vin gave her a reassuring smile, though it must not have been a very good one, because her worried expression didn't loosen. Hilda, stick around nearby. We'll be needing a pickup. Hilda just sighed, and then the pod was cranking away from Moneymaker and shooting toward the manor house below. Vin tilted the ship toward the house, angling it to land on the widest section of the roof. They'd probably notice that. On the other hand, though, they were kind of busy. Assuming Vin made it out of here alive, Xander was absolutely going to kill him. There'd be no way to keep this from his brother now. Sloane had just been led past a party full of fleet dignitaries, and even if they quashed the news from the networks, he wasn't sure they'd want to, assuming they already had the power to do it. Someone would ID her, and there was no doubt in his mind that someone here knew Xander, probably lots of someones. Vin eased the pod onto the manor's roof, careful to avoid the gilded gargoyles that decorated each corner. If he had a house like this, he'd cover the thing in layers and layers of security programming, maybe even an AI or two. But Franklin Sorby, who'd for some reason decided to make himself into a boot-licking ally of the fleet, seemed to prefer a more traditional approach, if gold-inlaid bricks could be considered traditional. As Vin exited the pod, he caught the greenish glint of Javen decorations on some of the gargoyles, though they'd been preserved for the ones on the corners. When the stranger stepped out of the shadows, Vin didn't even flinch, and he realized that some part of him had been waiting for the man who'd so persistently hounded Sloane for a dance, and then disappeared. Waiting for a pickup, Vin asked. 
The man was still wearing his tuxedo from the ballroom. He tucked his fingertips into his pockets, and Vin tensed, though the man seemed to be feigning a casual posture rather than reaching for a weapon. That part would come, soon enough. I was waiting for you, actually, the man said. I spotted that girl the second she walked in. The fleet might buy her as one of their own, but I didn't. I told her I was an officer, and she didn't even ask why I wasn't wearing formal dress. Where did you find her? Finn wanted to groan. He hadn't noticed the flub either. Hilda was right. He truly wasn't bait for spying. This man talked as if he knew Vin, but Vin didn't recognize his face, had never seen him before. Who are you? he asked. Who do you work for? The man smiled. He was obviously looking forward to the fight, and that usually wasn't a great sign. Vin was ready when the man lunged. His movements were fast, economical, no flashy arm-waving as he came directly for Vin's throat. He knew what he was doing. Vin blocked... <sighs> Let's try that again. Vin defended, blocking the first punch and dodging the follow-up kick. When his forearm caught the next punch, he could see that the man's hands were covered in a fine white dust. It looked like flour. "'What have you been up to?' Vin asked. "'Baking cakes? Playing in the sand?' The man pushed back, teeth bared, without bothering to answer. Maybe he'd snuck in with the catering staff, but when Vin risked a glance down, the man's shoes were also coated in the dust. Whatever he'd done, he'd done it in this outfit, and he wouldn't have used the tuxedo to blend in with the cooks. The man ducked, breaking the hold and sending Vin stumbling toward the edge of the roof. He spun, just in time to defend, catching the man's wrist in his fist. Instead of backing off, the man grinned, and then a pair of blades snapped out of the sides of his hands. He twisted his hand, and Vin released the man's wrist as a ribbon of blood bloomed along the back of his own hand, stinging his knuckles. A shallow cut. A lucky cut. Vin had only met one group of people who used weapon mods like these. The surgery was as invasive as it got, replacing a whole chunk of tendon and bone and reinforcing the rest of the hand with titanium plating. A painful procedure, and not something most people, even criminals, were willing to endure, or push on their people. Fox Clan, Vin said. That made some sense. He ticked them off a few times, though nothing big enough or recent enough to warrant the attack on the Academy. But the other thing about Fox Clan, they, avo they avoided AIs, which meant they'd been the one to send those drones after him. They were all about the weapon mods, but suspicious of artificial neural networks. It made about as much sense as anything else the cartels did. He half wanted to ask if they'd had the mods installed manually, too. He'd always wondered. Pro tip, Finn said. You shouldn't use those blades on a covert mission. They give you away. The man's grin only widened. His eyes were bloodshot now, almost wild. Doesn't matter if you're too dead to talk about it. The man slashed for Vin, but he ducked, the blade swiping so close to his ear that he heard the whoosh of air as it passed. He landed in a crouch which allowed him to withdraw a pair of knives from his boots before jumping back to his feet. What does Fox Clan want with a bunch of fleet intel, Vin asked. And why bother taking the time to stop Vin when they already had the data? Why not just disappear with their prize? If the man knew the answer, he didn't bother to respond. With a roar, he rushed at Vin, ble- <clears throat> <laughs> okay, I'm just going to laugh at myself for a second here. Audiobook narrators are amazing. I'm sure that if they were listening to this, they would never get farther than the first episode. Um, but they are amazing. I'm learning. <laughs> 
Let's see here. Why take the bo why bother taking the time to stop Vin when they already had the data? Why not just disappear with their prize? If the man knew the answer, he didn't bother to respond. With a roar, he rushed at Vin, blades drawn. The problem with modded blades, besides surgery and the pain, they didn't detach. Vin threw his fist first knife and it bounced off the man's outstretched hand, clanging uselessly to the roof. The man laughed and Vin launched his second knife. It hit the man straight in the throat. The man's momentum gave him three more steps before his hands rose to his neck where blood was gushing from his throat in gruesome spurts. He collapsed, clutching at his throat, his blades still drawn. There wouldn't be time to clean this up. Vin knelt beside his fox clan assailant, grimacing as blood poured out of the man's still body. The man would have killed Vin if he hadn't acted, but he hated to take a life, and always avoided doing it if he could. Leave the man alive and he might come after you another day. There was no denying it. But if you left him alive, there was always a chance he'd feel indebted to you. What was done was done. Vin plunged his hand into the man's pocket, searching for the data key. The man's palms were still covered in flour. It truly looked like flour, though it was beginning to congeal as blood flowed across the skin. When the man's pockets came up empty, Vin checked his shoes, ran his hand along the man's arms in search of smuggling mods, and used his clean knife to split the tuxedo open. There were no secret pockets and no mods beyond the ones in the man's hand. And the data key was gone. And Vin had no idea where to find it. Chapter 10. This is a really nice interrogation room. Not that Sloane had much of a reference point for how interrogation rooms should look. She'd seen the inside of a local patrol office a few times, but she'd always spent her time waiting on a bench for her father to pick her up. The worst part of that had been the small talk with the patrol officers and the dread of whatever lecture her father would give her on the way home. She'd been waiting in the manor's library with the same two security guards for almost half an hour. At first, she tried to get them to tell her something about what was happening or who they were waiting for. Now, though, it was more of a game of trying to get them to say anything at all. Once they'd ushered her into the room and scanned her with their weapon-finding equipment, or data-key-finding, maybe, they'd set her down in a chair like she was a doll and stationed themselves by the door. Neither had spoken a word since. "'Are you sorry to be missing the ball?' she asked. The two men stood like hulking bookends, their dark blue uniforms giving them almost a shadowy cast in the dim light of the library, which she assumed was on purpose, since there were plenty of lamps in the room." Why they preferred to keep her in the semi-darkness, she couldn't say. Neither of the guards even twitched. What about significant others? She tried again. Anyone upset that you had to work the ball instead of whirling them around on the dance floor? The men exchanged a glance, but neither said a word. Impressive. The door opened and the guards parted to allow Commander Fortune inside. At this, Sloane sat up straighter, first because it was a natural response to this man's presence, and second, because it was probably also an appropriate reaction for a scared, fleet wife. Holding on to her persona with every last cell in her body, Sloane widened her eyes until they burned just a touch. This is all a misunderstanding, Commander, she said. He crossed halfway through the room and stopped, resting his hands behind his back in that parade rest dance he seemed to like so much. Do you know why you're here? Sloane shook her head vehemently, while also trying to keep her eyes widely innocent, which only made her head spin. That's why I know it's a misunderstanding. The commander didn't twitch. He wasn't frowning, and he didn't look angry. He simply looked blank. 
Oh, Sloane had no doubt there was plenty ruminating behind his mask, but she had no idea how to interpret the expression. None. Tell me who you are again, if you would. He said it like a polite acquaintance, with a poor memory for names. Not unpleasant, not unpleasant at all. Had he said it from the bar stool next to hers, well... But this man had probably never walked into a bar in his life. Sky Sinclair,' she said, injecting a note of breathless impatience into her voice. "'Surely my facial scans are in your system. My husband is an officer.' The man stared back at her like he could read everything in her face that she couldn't read in his. Unnerving. Very. "'Yes, Miss Sinclair. The trouble is that no one seems to know your husband personally, or you, for that matter.' See, that was the trouble with talking to actual people. Computers, even AI, could be tricked by false records, false data scans, all that. Fools, too. And Commander Fortune was no fool. Vin probably should have realized that. But she wasn't sure her uncle could see past his own passionate fury on the subject. Probably a conflict of interest, though who was she to judge? The bud in her ear buzzed, and Vin's voice cut in a second later. Hang tight. Alex is trying to get hack the magna cuffs, so be ready to run. We'll be outside the window. Great. Yes, it was a first-floor window, but this was a manor with a raised foundation, and the library was off to the side. She could see the bushes sticking up behind the fancy window panes. They looked prickly. The commander looked up, um, turned to look back at the guards. Did the scans pick anything up? No, sir, the one on the right said. So they did have voices. No weapons, no data key. Data key? Sloane squeaked. What data key? You mean the one the pencil pusher dropped? Sorry, he just doesn't look like he sees much action. Too nervous, you know? I was only trying to help him. Not for the first time, Sloane wished that she'd taken a drama class or two. The ability to whip up some tears on command would come in useful right about now. Alas, not possible. She opted for righteous outrage instead. At least she hoped it was more righteous than squeaky. It definitely sounded squeaky to her own ears. Commander Fortune touched a finger to his chin that dropped his hand. Sloane got the distinct impression that this was the commander's version of running a frustrated hand over his face. Find out who she is, he said to the guards, then turned back to Sloane. If you feel like talking, they can find me. She does nothing but talk, one of the guards grumbled. It shouldn't have been so satisfying to get one of them to admit she annoyed them. It was, though. In her ear, Hilda was talking, her voice echoing through the background as if they'd left the mics live without meaning to. She said, I still don't get why he had dust on his hands. Who? Sloane asked. The commander paused and looked back, eyebrows raised, and Sloane cleared her throat. Who can I talk to, I mean? You can talk to me, at least until my ship departs. He waited, as if expecting her to crack, but she just nodded. He was the highest-ranking officer in the fleet. There wasn't anyone above him to speak to. Either he thought she was an imbecile, or she'd cemented his opinion that she wasn't affiliated with the fleet at all. They'd have to widen their search to ID her, and it might take some time. They wouldn't think to look for a sheltered center system girl, but they would find her. She hoped Finn would hurry. In her ear, Vin said, I tried to rescue you, but I was attacked. A Fox Clan operative stole the data, and the guy had flour on his hands when we fought, like he'd been baking cakes. Sloane's thoughts whirled into action as if blown up by a sudden wind. She'd have staked her tuition that the dust hadn't been flour at all. More like plaster. 
The cuffs snapped apart with a metallic ting, and Sloane dove for the window, ignoring the startled shouts of the guards. She threw the window aside. It opened easily, thanked the stars, and vaulted over the side, landing backside down on the prickliest bushes in the galaxy. Luckily, she had a princess-sized skirt to shield her. Mostly. Scrambling out of the bushes to the tune of ripping tulle, she ignored the scrapes and scratches that bloomed on her arms and racketed across the grass. Rocketed across the grass. The moneymaker waited not fifty paces away, but she veered past it and rushed for the garden with orchestral strains in the background and stars shining in judgment in the sky above. "'What are you doing?' Vin's voice was hot with anger and probably a fair amount of fear, but Sloane didn't stop running. "'Just meet me where you dropped the pod,' she said. "'Trust me.' Finn let out a string of curses that would have rivaled her father's, and the engines roared behind her as Moneymaker swerved toward the landing pads. She could hear the guards shouting behind her, but they weren't blessed with her dress padding, and they were struggling to catch up. Sloane dashed into the garden and hefted the Scraler sculpture off its base. It was lighter than it looked, but awkward for carrying with all its offshoots of seaweed and creatures. The stars swam within it, glints of sparkle hiding within the anemones and the bubbles, and she couldn't think of destroying it. She didn't dare. Instead, she knelt and cracked the bottom gently on one of the corner bricks, breaking the open the plaster adhesive. She dug her hand inside, scraping away the plaster, and her fingers closed around the thumbnail-sized chip that was buried inside it. Scraler always used Javen adhesive on his bases. Always. She could have crowed in triumph. Stop. Still clutching the sculpture, it was so much heavier than it looked, and one of the seaweed protuberances... Oh... I hate that the author put that word in there. It's so hard to say. <laughs> One of the seaweed protuberances was stabbing her in the armpit. Sloane scrambled to her feet, backing away from Commander Fortune as he hurried down the steps and into the garden. How had he even gotten here so fast, and why wasn't he surrounded by guards? There could be more Fox Clan operatives out here, or worse. Half the criminals in the galaxy probably wanted a shot at this guy. Don't come any closer, she said, jerking her chin toward the sculpture in her arms. I'll drop it. She wouldn't. She couldn't. The commander stopped, raised a hand halfway to his waist as if she'd suggested she intended to set off a bomb. The fleet must really need this Franklin Sorby guy, or his money anyway. Whatever you're involved in, the commander said, I can help you. Sloane couldn't keep her jaw from dropping. Not much, just a little gap. That was not what she'd expected him to say. She didn't know whether to feel gratified that the man thought she was an innocent or offended that he seemed to think she was in over her head. Moneymaker's engines split the night as the ship landed at her back, dropping its gangplank halfway between the actual landing pads and the garden where she stood now. Hilda had the damn thing hovering, the ramp barely brushing the ground. Sloane did not attempt to leap, intend to leap anywhere in this dress. The commander shielded his eyes, squinting into the wind and dividing his gaze between Sloane and the ship. "'You don't have to do this,' he said. The guy was clearly as stick-clenched as the rest of the fleet, but for some reason she didn't want to believe that he had anything to do with a galaxy-wide takeover. How could he not, though? He was the fleet commander. If anyone knew about it, it was Fortune. "'Stop trying to help me,' she snapped. "'You have no idea what's happening.' He stared at her, his expression still mostly unreadable, except for the sliver of open disbelief that made her eyebrows, his eyebrows climb toward his hairline. Not used to people yelling back at him. Not that he'd yelled, his voice was still perfectly measured, she was the only one yelling. 
and in her own voice she realized rather than Sky Sinclair's. Too late. Much too late. It didn't matter. They'd ID her eventually anyway. Might as well leave them with a taste of the real thing. Sloane backed toward the ship, clutching the key in her fist and the sculpture in her arms. The shouts behind the commander were getting louder as the rest of the fleet guards caught up. This man's reputation for jumping into the fray might truly be earned. Vin's insistence growing desperate in her ear. Any minute she'd start hearing gunshots or plasma rounds. The fleet might be evil, but she didn't want to picture those guards getting hurt or even their commander. Or worse, Vin, Hilda, or Alex. When she reached the gangplank, Sloane placed the sculpture on the ground, leaving it carefully upright. Then, with the data key clutched in her fist, she backed into the ship, leaving Commander Fortune to stare after her. So that's it for chapters 9 and 10 of Outlaw Rising. Next week, I will be reading the final three chapters from this novella. It's a pretty short book, um, so that'll be 11, 12, and 13, um, and I'll be finishing it up. And then on March 17th, 2023, if you're watching this or listening to this later, I am going to go live on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. I am 99% sure that that is going to be something doable. I have figured it out. Uh, and so I have dropped a Q&A form link in the uh, show notes. You can also email me. There's an email address listed at, um, like, via that link if you prefer not to enter things via the form. Um, I did ask for email addresses on the form, not names. I don't have to read them out on, on, you know, when I give the live or anything like that, but I just thought it would cut back on spam a little bit. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe I'm being naive. Uh, but anyway, um, if you have any questions, please do drop them there. I will answer them on the 17th. Even if you don't have questions, come hang out. We'll talk about Outlaw Rising and the Parse Galaxy and the Parseverse and everything that's going on there. And um, thank you. Please leave a comment if you're enjoying it. I've seen a couple comments come through and I really appreciate them. They make my day. Um, Outlaw Rising is free. If you just can't wait to read those last few chapters, you can go and pick that up and I will see you next week. Have a great week.